Welcome to the Preacher's Podcast. Today we are beginning a new series called Lord, Increase Our Faith. We often use the word faith quite casually. Uh, Just have faith means something like wish for something good, for instance. But when Jesus speaks of faith, especially as we find him in Luke's gospel journeying to his cross, he speaks about faith with gravity and seriousness. In this series, we'll be listening to Jesus speak about faith And we'll lead our listeners to turn to Jesus with the prayer, Lord, increase our faith. I'm John Mitchell from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary. Let's meet our preachers for this series. With us is Pastor Steve Lang, who serves Hope Lutheran Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and Pastor Kent Holtz, who serves Beautiful Savior Lutheran Church in Clarksville, Tennessee. And with us today, uh, also from the seminary, is Professor Brad Wardell, who teaches Old Testament. Today we're thinking about the readings for the Sunday that falls on or between October 2nd and 8th in year C, so that means we're dealing with proper 22. The theme tying the readings together this week is faith that delights in duty. Uh, Kent Holtz, let's start with you. Get us started by sharing some thoughts on the theme of the week, if you would. Sure. Yeah, I guess the first thing that struck me as I looked at the, the theme was the, the delight in duty, you know, caught my attention right away. And just the, the thought of, really? Um, do, do I do that? Do we do that at times? Del- delight in duty? And uh, yeah, kind of a, a funny thought. And it, it made me think of, uh, you know, something in my own life, uh, raking leaves with my son, who was three at the time. And a three-year-old just loves to do this, right? He was delighting in that. But the same child... I asked about 17 or 18 years later to help, and it was a different, uh, it was a different kind of feeling. Um, and we're all like that, right? So delight in duty, maybe sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. But I think, yeah, that faith part is so uh, critical, right? It's it's really an attitude thing. So as uh, we're we're touched by the gospel, that the some of the the obligations or duties that we have in life. Um, yeah, actually become something that is delightful if, if our focus is in the proper place. Right. So the, the faith connection uh, makes, uh, redefines what duty is all about, right? Or fulfilling our duty, um, certainly. Yeah, and we'll get into that more today in the other readings. Um, Steve Lang, uh, could you get us into those other scripture readings for today. Uh, We'll be focusing on the first reading as our sermon text this week. So could you maybe give us a short synopsis, uh, especially of the gospel and the second reading, along with any thoughts about how the readings relate to each other? Yeah. Um, The gospel here, we're continuing on reading different sections of Jesus' teaching as he is making his journey to Jerusalem, where he's going to give his life as the ransom for the sins of the world. And um, immediately, well, Jesus is talking here. He starts out in the gospel talking about how offenses will certainly come, but woe to the one through whom they come. Um, As you are interacting with the other people, don't cause others to sin. Instead, call your brothers and sisters to repentance. And when they repent, forgive them. And that whole thing, 
where Jesus says, you know, if your brother sins against you seven times and seven times he sins, he says, I'm sorry. And well, I want you to keep on forgiving him seven times. And the apostles all say, increase our faith. It's like, I don't think I have a strong enough faith to do that. And I think all of us can relate to where the apostles were coming from because mm -hmm. we all know, I mean, if someone, if I tell someone, please don't do that. And then they do it and they say, oh yeah, I'm sorry. And I forgive them. And they do it two or three more times. Probably about the fourth time is when I'm really going to lose patience. And then seven times I'm still keep on going. And well, Jesus comes back and he says, look, it's not so much the size of your faith that matters. It's who you put your faith in. And so he says, even if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can do some pretty remarkable things. And that, of course, would include forgiving your brother however many times you have right. to whenever he comes back and repents. And then we finally get to the part that really focuses on the duty, which is where the connection is with the other lessons today. Um, Jesus uses the picture of you have a servant. He has been out doing his work. He comes in. Another part of his duty is to serve you dinner. When he comes in from taking care of the sheep or plowing, are you going to say, no, you don't have to serve me dinner tonight. You are going to sit down. I'm going to serve you. No, the servant is going to keep on doing his duty. And it's just, it's not like this big thing. He just, that's just what he does. Um, and the same thing when we talk about serving God it really is a tremendous privilege to be able to serve God. That's one of the things we're going to see when we get to the uh, first lesson as we focus on on that what a tremendous privilege it is to be able to serve God and we do it not because we're looking for any sort of reward God will give us rewards out of his grace not because we earn them but just because he's so gracious we serve God out of gratitude and like Ken said to delight in duty sounds absolutely counterintuitive but from the perspective of the believer who sees how God has served him, it is nothing but pure joy to be able to serve the one who served us. And so, you know, after we've done our duty joyfully, gratefully, we're not looking for a reward. We can just say we're unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. And then in the second lesson, Paul gives us a really good illustration of that. He's talking to the Christians in Thessalonica, um, and he talks about how he gives thanks to God for their very obvious faith, which has shown in the way they have served others, um, about their perseverance in the faith, and the, they've been dealing with persecutions and afflictions. Paul wasn't able to stay in Thessalonica for very long before he had to leave, but they had to stay. And so they kept on dealing with the persecutions, and yet they kept on persevering. And Paul gives thanks to God for that faith that expressed itself there. And he then goes on to talk about how, you know, I, my other prayer, besides giving thanks to God for the faith that he's given you, is that you now will put that faith into action, which I know you're going to do. Uh, he has this great line that, um, I pray that by his power, he will fulfill every your every desire to do good and your work produced by faith, so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified by you. Um, 
the faith that the Thessalonian Christians had just naturally expressed itself in a desire to serve God. And that was Paul's prayer for them, a prayer that obviously God is going to be very um, eager to, to answer with a yes. And again, the goal of the service, the faith-filled service of the Christians in Thessalonica was to give glory to God, but there's also going to be other benefits because God in his grace is also going to glorify them according to the grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's really a nice connection in all three of these lessons about the connection between faith, which God has given to us, and then the service that naturally comes from that. And yes, it's a duty, but it is not some onerous duty that we hate doing. It is truly our joy to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Again, faith and the joy that comes through faith makes uh, doing our duty joyful service rather than um, something that we view as a burden. Um, Brett Wardell, let's go to you next. Our suggested text for this week is from First Chronicles. Before we get into the text itself, it might be helpful to do a little isagogics kind of review. Um, can you help us recall some of the unique features of Chronicles, um, how it's similar to and different from other related books? I think a little information like that will help lay the groundwork for the discussion of our text. So can you highlight some things for us? Thank you, John. I think it's probably fair to say that Chronicles is one of the most uh, neglected parts of the Old Testament. And I think one of the reasons for that might be because it, it seems to be a, a duplication and a retelling of a story that's already been told. So what you find in Chronicles really is also what you find in the books of Samuel and the books of Kings. But I think the important thing to remember is that the same story is being told to two different audiences and for that reason, to, for two different purposes. So Samuel and Kings are really telling the story of the monarchy, the united monarchy and the divided monarchy. And if you were to ask the question, why is this story being told and what is the purpose of telling this story? I, I think the purpose is this, to show that the Northern Kingdom of Israel and the Southern Kingdom of Judah got what they deserved. It really answers the question, why did this happen? And as the story is being told, you see how God is so patient and kind. He sends his prophets, he warns, he warns again, he gives them time, but they just would not uh, be faithful to their God. And God brought on them uh, the punishment that he threatened, first of all, to the northern kingdom and then bringing the southern kingdom into exile. After the people of God came out of exile, uh, the story needed to be told again in the book of Chronicles. And this book was probably written by Ezra or someone like him by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And the same story is being told again, but not to emphasize that they got what they deserved. This time, the story is being told uh, to answer the question, what now? What's going to happen now that we've come out of exile and the 70 years are over? Are we still the people of God? Does God still love us? Is there still hope for us? Is the Savior still coming or not? And so the same history is told again uh, with a different purpose. It's to comfort and to give hope. 
And for that reason, one of the big differences between the account in Samuel and Kings and the account in Chronicles is how much of the, of the dirty laundry is being shared. You'll notice that in Chronicles, we don't hear about David's weaknesses and sins and what happened with Bathsheba and the killing of Uriah. We don't hear about all the consequences that were a part of his, of his reign because of that, that the sword never departed from him. But instead, we're given this almost, I would say, touched up picture of David. Uh, he, he looks beautiful and he's, he's much more godly. Uh, even though he is a man after the Lord's own heart, he really appears that way in the book of Chronicles. And I think the reason for that might be because the people who came out of exile need to see the good in David, and they need, need to see the promises that were given to David, and they need to be reminded that the second David is still going to come. And I think that's an important thing for us to remember as we read Chronicles. Uh, David, ironically, is not really the first David. <laughs> He's a type of the real David. Jesus Christ is the real David. And, and the first David was just a type of that. And maybe he's made to look so much better in the book of Chronicles because we're being reminded that his greater son, the real David, the perfect David, the David who builds the temple, the David who gives himself to establish the temple and to make for himself a people of God, he is still coming. So as we look at this text from 1 Chronicles uh, chapter 29, we're going to see a David who has a beautiful heart and is appreciative of all the Lord's blessings, and who's eager to serve the Lord, and who prays that God would help him to serve the Lord as well as he can. Yeah, thanks for that uh, background. Uh, that That is really helpful just for preachers to remember uh, the overall purpose of Chronicles, and how David fits in, and therefore now how our uh, text with the words of David will fit in. Well, let's go back to that now. Um, Kent, um, could we get into chronic first chronicles 29 a little more deeply at this point we're assuming that preachers have done their own text study um could you just mention a few points that you noted in your study of this text yeah yeah and i appreciate that um that background too from uh, professor wardell because first thing i i had to do some reading and just kind of refresh for myself. Okay, now why? I know David wanted to build the temple. Why could he not build the temple? I know he was a man of blood. And how did all that go down? Oh, yeah, there was the census. And all of that took place. So that was really good. That, that's where I had to start was to do some, some background reading. But, and, you know, I think anytime you get into David, it's just so fascinating. Because the Lord has given us more David than almost any other character in the Old Testament. And in a way, we get to see him grow up, all his big mistakes and failures on full display, but also this text, which is, which is beautiful. Um, I think what struck me first of all was probably just the, the prayer itself, as you look at the prayer itself, just the, the you, Lord, you know, you, not me. Um, again and again, and, and verses, you know, 10 through 12 um, just comes out so clearly um, that this is a kind of a different David, 
um, a, a David who has fought a lot of battles and um, won them and lost them. But going back to our theme where duty is a, a, a privilege or we delight in this. I mean, just look at David in that prayer there. My goodness, he, he is delighting in this. Um, and he recognizes that everything is from the hand of the Lord. Um, you see that come through clearly in the English text. Of course, um, it comes through clearly in the Hebrew, you know, as you look at that as well, that it's David's focus is you, Lord, not me. Um, so I think that was, that was kind of the first thing that, that struck me. Um, and I think with that, you know, as you progress through the prayer, just David, also his acknowledgement of his absolute inability um, to do anything, um, that, that everything is from the Lord. Um, and it's almost kind of like, um, I don't know if this is a, a proper term or not. It's almost like first article gospel. You know, he talked about, you know, blessings and majesty and power. All of that is from God. So God is good. And then he compares that to himself in verse uh, 14. Who am I? You know, I, I am nothing. And verse 15, why should God even pay attention to us? You know, we're aliens and we're strangers and without, and it's implied a little bit there, but he's, you know, he's saying without God, ultimately there's hopelessness. There's, there's nothing. Uh, we're just a shadow. Um, so just that contrast of, again, um, when your focus is in the proper place, you Lord first, not me, um, comes that, that heart of gratitude. And then maybe, maybe the, the final thing just caught my eye and something I've been thinking about that uh, ever since I you know, kind of went through the text study is the final verse there. I just think it's kind of cool how David ultimately is praying for us, you know, still today. You know, he's praying for his people, but can we not say, oh, Lord, God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep this desire in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. You know, what a great prayer for us to have that same attitude of, of service, you, Lord, first, not me, um, and for our people, right? What, what, I think all of us would, would pray that, Lord, keep that going in us. So those were kind of some of the things that, that really stuck out for me as I, I went through it. Great. Thank you. Uh, Steve, uh, would you like to highlight any of the same things or some other additional things in the text? I would love to pick up on, well, first of all, I'd love to pick up on what Kent said about David. Um, one of the things that I have always appreciated, and the older I get, the more I appreciate it, about scripture is the fact that God portrays his people with both brutal honesty and tremendous grace. They're real. Uh, you, you look at any of the characters and any of the people in the Bible, from Abraham to David to the apostles, uh, you are looking at a real person who deals with real issues and real problems and has to work through them in very relatable ways. You may not deal with exactly the same issues as, say, David did, but 
we all know what it is like to fall flat on our faces in sin and to have that sin torment us and to feel those emotions that he expresses in the Psalms and to hear the Lord's assurance of forgiveness as David did through Nathan, uh, to, to see that God uses someone like David, who even though the chronicler does not include all of the, as Professor Wardell said, dirty laundry, we know it's there because we've read Samuel. And to know that God could take someone who did stuff like that and also use him to do something like this is extremely encouraging for, for me as an individual Christian and also for, I, I think, the people we're serving. It doesn't matter how broken you may be because of sin in this world. God still redeems all of that. He did it for David. He did it for Abraham. He did it for his apostles. He did it. You, you can go through the whole thing. You, you read through the hall of faith in, uh, in the book of Hebrews and you see an off lots in there. I mean, for goodness sake, lots in there. Uh, you know, it just is a tremendously comforting and instructive thing for me to be able to see David like that, you know, as, as um, Kent uh, had said earlier. So I just, that, that always has been a, a tremendous thing for me. Um, the thing that really impressed me is when you read the verses that are in the, the space between verse two and verse 10, and you read the tons of gold and silver and bronze that not only David gave, but the, you know, the leaders of Israel gave. And I mean, humanly speaking, this was an impressive act of service. There are a couple things that really impressed me as I started reading David's prayer. Number one, God didn't need a bit of it. And yet, he received it. He accepted it. He welcomed it. Um, he gave David the opportunity to serve him in this way, even though he did not need a bit of it. In fact, all of it belonged to him. I have to find the verse, verse 14, where, where literally David says, from your hand, we have given to you. It reminded me of when my kids were little and they wanted to go and buy me a Christmas present. Well, where did they get the money to go do that? I gave them the money and then they went and spent it and I got what my money, you know, they gave me back what I gave them. You know, we've got this million, you know, millions of dollars worth of precious metals. And David is like, yeah, God, I'm just giving you what you've given to me. You don't need a bit of it, but what a tremendous privilege it is to be able to serve you. So that that just, you know, the fact that God doesn't need our service, and yet he not only says, go do this for me, he's excited when his people do that. Um, and you see how David's faith in God, his recognition of the greatness of God, and really the fact that he was just doing what God himself had first equipped him to do, did not diminish David's joy in serving. You know, it's just this, it's almost this 
feedback loop where God rejoices in enabling his servants to serve who then rejoice in their ability to serve. And it just keeps going around and around and around. And, you know, just what a beautiful thing that is for, for God's people to be able to experience and, and also witness in other people. So those are the things that really struck me. Yeah. 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 God is the initiator, giving the blessings, creating us, uh, blessing us with all these first article kinds of gifts, redeeming us and giving us new life, giving us the gift of faith. And then when we act in that faith, he says, oh, I love that. I love that. Even though, well, uh, he's enabled everything, um, but he still delights in that. So it's, yeah, it's it's grace upon grace upon grace. And right, we're kind of in this beautiful loop uh, of of his gifts to us and our joyful service back to him. Uh, One uh, of the things that that I wanted to just, I, I also was impressed, you know, Kent had mentioned why did David not just go ahead and build it himself? Well, the Lord said, no, I've got a different person to do this. David could have said, okay, Solomon, this is your job. You get to do all the collection. You get to do all of the, if it seems to me that if you kind of read between the lines in both Kings and Chronicles, it's almost like David before he died had absolutely everything ready for Solomon to just hit the ground running. It's like, here, Solomon, are the blueprints. Here are the plans. Here, we've got the workers over here, and I've got these people over here, and I've got all these materials. It was like, you know, even though David was not able to serve God in the way that he would have originally liked, that didn't keep him from still finding way. His faith still was going to express itself, even if it didn't get to do it in the way it originally had hoped. And that I thought was pretty cool, too. Yeah, yeah. He cues everything up uh, for for Solomon. Um, Brad, uh, I think you wanted to mention um, something that you had noted in that that space between the verses of our text. So we're looking at verses one and two, and then ten to eighteen. Um, could you uh, tell us about that? Yeah, in verse three, uh, David is talking about how, in his devotion to the temple of his God, he's giving his own personal treasures. And the word there is the Hebrew word segula, which is uh, kind of a rare word in the Old Testament. It doesn't appear that often. It appears the first time in Exodus chapter 19, when God brings his people out of Egypt and brings them to Mount Sinai, he says, the whole earth is mine, but you will be for me my treasured possession. And then uh, Moses in the book of Deuteronomy, as he is preaching to the next generation and about to send them into the promised land, reminds them of who they are. You are God's segula, you are God's treasured possession. And that word really has that that nuance to it, that a, a wealthy person has treasures that are very valuable and very important to him. And David is willing to give his own personal treasures to the building of this temple and for the glory of God with a strong faith. Uh, Like Steve said, he didn't have to do that, but he wants to do that. And he sees it as a privilege to be able to give his treasures uh, to the Lord. And that can only happen with gospel motivation because he realizes that he is God's segula. He is God's special treasure and special 
possession. And Peter picks up on that in 1 Peter chapter 2 when he's talking about uh, who we are as the people of God. We're royal priests and we are a people belonging to God. And when we remember that we are God's treasured possession, it makes it so much easier for us to fulfill our duty and to fulfill the law of love, which includes uh, giving glory to God with our stewardship of time and talents and treasures. Right. Yeah. So God, out of pure grace, declares us to be his treasured possession. And that motivates us then to give back to him in gratitude our treasured possessions. We see that in David. Steve? Would it be okay if I just kind of picked up on something that just occurred to me as uh, Professor Wardell was, was talking there about the treasured possession? And this was something that I had actually been kind of mulling over as I was thinking of just kind of processing the text myself. Um, in verse 14, David says, who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? You know, on the one hand, I'm thinking, well, yeah, we are not worthy to be able to serve God. And even though David is giving this massive amount of, you know, precious metal, and even though the leaders also have given this massive amount of precious metal for this temple to God. It's not like they in themselves deserve to be able to do this. On the other hand, I think that it's important that we keep in mind too what Professor Wardell just said, that we are God's treasured possession because on the other hand, you can't answer that question, who am I that we should be able to do this? I am a redeemed child of God who has been given this tremendous privilege of being able to do that. Um, you know, and, and it, I, I, I guess as I was thinking about this and just kind of struggling with it myself, it's like, on the one hand, yeah, David definitely is expressing his humility here, but, and I, I guess I'm just going to throw this out to other people. Do you think then it's legitimate to also say, yeah, we in ourselves do not deserve the privilege of being able to serve. And yet look at what God says that we are, you know, kind of, I, I always, and I'm learning to do this myself more and more encouraging people and encouraging myself to see myself as Jesus sees me through his accomplished work on my behalf that profoundly affect how I view myself and how I view other people. I don't deserve that tremendous blessing, but yet that is who I am in Christ. And so just looking at this passage, who am I and who are my people? I see, you know, two kind of contrasting answers there, both of them being true, but from one from a law perspective, one from a gospel perspective. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm glad you brought that up, Steve, because I was going to ask about um, law, preaching law and gospel from this text. And I think but who am I affords us a natural opportunity to do both of those things, doesn't it? Uh, Brad? Yeah, that phrase, but who am I? David loves to pray that way in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, when the Davidic covenant is given from God to David, that the eternal king is going to come from your royal family. He has that beautiful prayer, and he, he says the same thing over and over. Who am I that God should give us such grace to me and to my family? 
And isn't that an important part of a strong faith and, and an active faith, marveling at God's rich grace towards us that eventually translates itself into the grace of giving? I also find joy in giving back to God because of all that he has given to me. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I'm thinking um, identifying uh, a malady in this text. Um, well, it, it's that in and of ourselves, we ask the question, but who am I? I'm, I'm of course, not worthy of any of your gifts, be they physical or spiritual. Um, but the gospel comes that in Christ, um, who am I? Who am I now in him? Um, I'm God's treasured possession, and I'm exalted uh, to be his child and recipient of all these gifts and uh, have been given the privilege of, of service now in whatever form that may take. Um, other thoughts about, uh, uh, I guess we're getting into kind of application thoughts and things like that already, but any suggestions for preachers or things that as you work through this text and uh, consider preaching it, ideas for applications or, or touch points between the text and your listeners' lives, uh, Brad? Yeah, earlier, uh, Steve had mentioned that all of the Bible characters are portrayed in Scripture as being both sinners and saints at the same time. And David recognizes that about himself and his own people. And I think that's why there is that prayer in verse 18. Uh, he knows there's going to be a struggle. Uh, and so he says, keep the desires in the hearts of your people. Keep this desire in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. We're fighting a battle and the world and the devil are constantly trying to draw our hearts away uh, from the Lord and to put our hope in our riches and, and to make them our idols and it's a battle that, that we face and our people face, and we need to pray as David did. Yeah, not only uh, is David in this moment, yeah, he's thinking forward to the future, as we've mentioned, um, knowing that this will continue to be a struggle for believers, but counting on the generosity of the Lord to be there, not only for him, not only for Solomon, but for every future generation of God's people too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll open it up now. Further thoughts uh, as you think about preaching the text, or maybe you've got even theme ideas that you're um, kind of to playing with a little bit. Uh, like to share any of those, uh, Kent? Well, just uh, another thought on application. You know, as you, David talks about what he's going to give, the first time you read through that and you go, is David looking for a pat on the back? And then his prayer becomes very clear that this is not about David. But, you know, it's the whole me first thing, right? What, what kind of problems we create for ourselves if it is me first rather than, you know, if, if I'm the center of my universe, what do things look like? Or if God is the center of my universe, what do things look like? And you can think about that, of course, on a personal level. Maybe you can even think about that on a congregational level, though. You know, if, if God is the center of my universe, what does worship look like? or my worship attendance, even on a Sunday morning, right? What does that look like? Or what do my thank offerings look like if it's me first or if it's God first? Or what is my participation at, uh, you know, leadership or whatever within a church? So I think 
that whole concept is tremendous application for us um, because it's so easy. You know, no, another malady is, is just me first rather than God first. And, you know, David certainly lived through that, right? You know, he's the king. He sees a beautiful woman. If he's thinking David's the center of the universe, why not? Right? He's the king. There's a beautiful woman. Why shouldn't he have her? And now there's a pregnancy, but he's still the king. Um, why shouldn't he cover this up? And right, um, if God's first, that looks very, very different. Yeah, yeah. Um, Steve, did you have a comment to that point? I, I, I did. Um, one of the things that came into my head was actually is every so often you see, you know, every congregation has tremendously selfless servants in it who give of their time, their treasure, the efforts. They're not doing it because they want to be recognized. They're doing it truly because they love the Lord. However, all of these servants also have sinful natures and every so often things kind of come up that are like, you know, there is that sinful nature in us that even though we know we're doing it for the Lord, it still is like, well, why is no one noticing this? Um, I think I can share this because nobody who's going to listen to this really knows anybody involved. Uh, a bench was given in our uh, congregation in memory of someone who had passed away. It was put in the garden and then someone else found about it and got upset because they didn't know about it and were a little bit miffed because this person was given a bench in their honor and they really didn't do as much for this thing as they had done. And it's just like, you know, it's funny how Satan can take just simple things like that to just get our sinful natures to be looking for the recognition that most of the other time we recognize as new people. Yeah. I'm not doing this for the recognition, but yet there are the, it, it's the sinful nature is still there. And to see David give this massive donation and truly not be looking for a pat on the back at all is just a really good encouragement for us. And, you know, okay, how does he do that? Does it like Kent said, the focus is entirely on God. And, you know, how do we overcome these things with our own sinful nature? It's by, again, maintaining our focus on, on God and on Christ and what God has done for us in Christ, because that's the power that gives us the ability to push down that sinful nature and let the new person just go about its, its merry way, serving the Lord with joy. Great. Yeah. Great thoughts. Um, yeah. They're, even in the most the faithful believers, uh, Satan knows our weak spots and, you know, out of the blue can come one of those times where um, our, we're tempted to put me first again or inject our ego into, into things. Uh, Brad, a thought related to that too? Yeah, this discussion reminds me of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, it's interesting that it starts with uh, three petitions that have the word your in it, and then it ends with uh, three uh, things that belong to God. You know, we start out with uh, the, may your name be hallowed, may your kingdom come, may your will be done. The emphasis on God, not on us. And then at the end, uh, the kingdom is his, the power is his, the glory is his. And I'm, I'm reminded of that in David's prayer. It, his prayer is filled of, with that. It's all about God. 
And anything that I can do to serve him is a gift of grace as well. And I think that as we are, are in the word and as we're praying the word, that's one of our greatest prayers. Don't let me become the center of my life and my universe. Lord, help me to serve you in faith, joyfully, as is my rightful duty. It's not just my duty, but it's good and right for me to do this. Great, great. Um, possible uh, themes or approaches to preaching this text or how you're going to maybe structure the sermon? Any ideas um, you're thinking about at this stage? Uh, Steve? As I was thinking about this last night and this morning and just kind of, you know, again, processing it in my mind and my heart, the two things that really struck me were, well, the, the overall thing that really struck me was what a privilege it is to be able to serve the Lord. And, and the two reasons that really emphasize what a privilege it is, number one, God gives us the ability to do this, even though he doesn't need a thing from us. But what a privilege it is to be able to have a God who graciously accepts our service and receives our service and welcomes our service uh, as if, you know, we were giving him something that he needed, but he, he doesn't need it, but he receives it as if it is. That just really was impressive to me. And then just the, the whole thing about how God then it, not only receives our service, but he equips us for it. He gives us what we need to be able to perform this service. And, you know, all of that just comes out of, it just really emphasizes how privileged we are to be able to serve, that God gives us these opportunities, that he welcomes our service, that he equips us for our service, that he gives us everything we need for our service, that it is going to be coming out of the faith that he has created in our hearts that, uh, you know, his, his grace, which sent him, you know, which moved him to send his son is the same grace that moves him to receive our service. You know, just the whole idea of privilege was what really kind of struck me, which, you know, privilege in our culture might be kind of a negative word, but here it, it, really is a very positive thing. We have a tremendous privilege and God has tremendously privileged us to be able to interact with him in this way, not only to receive his blessings, but then to take the very blessings he gives us and use them in service back to him. Thank you. Yeah. Privilege of service. Brad? Yeah, I kind of have the parts for my sermon, but not necessarily the theme yet. I think if you're going to have a three-part sermon, you're going to talk, first of all, about the first David. Tell the story of, of what he's saying, what he's praying, what he's doing, why he's doing it. Part two is going to be the real David, because everything that the first David does is in his greater son and in anticipation of God keeping his promises of grace to David and describe how God's eternal son, the Lord Jesus Christ, perfectly gave of himself in service to God to redeem the world. And then part three can be our response. You know, how do we imitate the first David, remembering that the second and greater David is our savior too? And how do we give joyfully in faith as is our duty and, and our privilege and to have a heart that rejoices and delights in that 
just as David's did and, and just as Christ's heart did perfectly. And so maybe you have an idea for what the theme might be in that situation. I'll offer up the parts for, for the rest of you. Thank you. Yeah. So it, um, we talk in, in homiletics class about preaching Old Testament texts, particularly ways that we can uh, preach Christ or the uh, gospel-centered message based on Christ in ways that are authentic to Old Testament texts, rather than just dropping Jesus in out of the blue or uh, stretching you know, points in a kind of an allegorical way. But here we have David as uh, a foreshadowing of the greater David. We have also um, the concept of, of serving God joyfully, filled with faith, um, God's generosity and his creative material gifts, but most of all, making us his, tre his treasured possession out of his grace and that enabling our service. So we've got a couple options here. I think, and and the temple that he's building oh, is sure. all a picture of Christ. Sure, sure. That's there too, to point unmistakably to Christ. Um, great. Any other ideas or suggestions for preachers? Um, as they approach this text. Um, yeah, Brad, one more. I have an illustration, and, and it kind of came to my mind as, as uh, I think Kent was telling us the story about raking with uh, the leaves with, with his child. I think that when it comes to teaching stewardship to our children, you know, we do that in church, don't we? We put the money into the hands of our children, and then our children put it uh, into the offering plate, and they do that with joy. And then when they get to be middle schoolers and teenagers and they have, have their own jobs, I think it is our, our responsibility as parents to teach them how to give uh, first fruits of their income back to the Lord. And we might be tempted to say, well, when you were a little child, I put the money into your hand and you gave it, but now you're giving of your own stuff <laughs> to the Lord. And that's not really what this text says, is it? Um, what we earn through our jobs, that's also God putting it into our hand. And we can't give back to God something he hasn't first given to us. And I think that especially verse 14 is just such a beautiful stewardship verse for us to be pondering and teaching to our people. Yeah. Yeah, great thoughts for application there. Uh, Kent, another one? Yeah, I guess I'm just so struck by the, you know, the you first thing of uh, David here that kind of warring against that is our natural inclination, right? Me first. And there's so many examples of that. Me first from the preschooler cutting in line to, you know, not wanting to let somebody cut in front of you in the roadway or, you know, so many different ways in our life. Yeah, you know, it's me first, me first, and and how hard it is to put the, the Lord first. But then maybe the gospel application there is to think about, we well, have that kind of God who didn't say, who never mm -hmm. said me first, mm -hmm. right? We, we have a savior who, can you imagine if Jesus had that kind of attitude? I guess that could be a law thought too, but he didn't, right? He, he uh, always was thinking of us first. And finally, that is what is going to, you know, that to, to see, you know, duty as or, or work as something that is a joy and not a burden. Um, yeah, I, I think of, uh, you know, what is the stuff that we hate to do? You know, what, what's the stuff that you put last on your list? My, my wife said, you know, our, 
our uh, dumpster, our garbage can really stinks. In other words, do something about that, right? <laughs> and a month later, she's like, Kent, you know, that, that really is smelly. And because I know it's in the bottom of that thing. I don't want to touch that. That's, that's gross, right? Um, was I viewing that as my privilege? Of course not. You know, so, you know, that, that in so many different ways, we fight against that, right? It's me first, me first. And, and rather, you know, let's, um, things look different if, if we put the Lord first. Right. Right. Uh, Steve? Uh, just it occurred to me as Kent was talking about cleaning out the garbage dumpster, that would have been some, that would have been a great thing for you to use to teach your children to delight in their duty. Just hand it off to one of them. <laughs> right. Um, but that, that actually does bring me back to the point that I wanted to make that, you know, the theme is that we've got for all of these lessons is faith that delights in duty. David was, in a sense, carrying out a duty, not a duty that was onerously put on him, but he saw it as a joyful duty. And the delight that he had in carrying out that duty just, I mean, it just oozes from everything he says. And, you know, catching that delight that David had in being able to do this, I mean, this was, this was a major yeah, sacrifice on his part. This was a lot of money. And it wasn't just him. It was the leaders also. And even towards the end of his prayer, I got to get the uh, verse number here. Um, uh, verse 17, I guess. I have willing get, willingly given all these things with an upright heart. Now I have seen your people who are present here giving joyfully and willingly to you. Just everybody involved with this was making, you know, significant sacrifices in service to the Lord, not grudgingly, not feeling like, oh, well, King David's doing it, so I guess I got it too. No, the, the, the joy was just infectious all over the place. And, you know, just bringing, using that to, to show people the reason, like, like we've talked about earlier, the reason they were able to do that is because they understood that even though they were not worthy to receive these blessings from the Lord, they did receive them. They were God's precious treasure. And now they had the tremendous privilege as God's precious treasure to give some of their treasure, which they had received from the Lord in the first place, back to him. And that was not a duty that they felt compelled to do. It was a duty that they wanted to do. And they were glad to be able to do it. Well, thank you so much, guys, for thoughts. We've given preachers a lot to, to think about. Um, and faith that delights in duty, that theme comes across so clearly in the readings for this week, especially that beautiful prayer of David. Uh, well, God bless you, preachers, as you continue to work on your sermons and as you proclaim God's word of grace.